Hippity hop, hippity hop. <laughs> Good morning again, everyone. Surprise! <laughs> I want to invite you now to pray with me before I begin. God of the Holy Trinity, who sides with the oppressed and sides with us, who came to live among us, speak through this community today. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, hi. I was going to preach this sermon um, way back in July, um, but then I got in a car accident, so hey. <laughs> but in a way, um, I was thinking about it, and I feel like God used that moment where my life totally stopped um, to show me, like, wait, before you preach about what loving God and loving your neighbor looks like, I think you need to learn a more little bit about what that looks like for you and for the community that loves you and is going to rally around you before you go tell a church how to do it. <laughs> and so, without warning, I experienced Yates's love immediately um, following my car accident when I broke my leg. Um, and I was really humbled by that. Um, after experiencing, experiencing love from my family, my friends, Yates rallied around and was bringing cards and flowers and blankets from my secret sister <laughs> and just so many prayers and compliments and asking how I'm doing and helping me come up the stairs and just being around and ready. Um, after all this, this grand stop in my life where I felt like I couldn't stop, I felt loved anyway. And this love was not conditional. The love I experienced from Yates was not based on my ability to come in every Sunday morning after my surgery or on my ability to walk around quietly with clicky crutches that drive me insane, or my ability to stand without my crutches or my social battery when my body's starting to fall apart. I was loved and cared for when I was vulnerable without question, and I didn't really realize what the other side of that felt like until I had this accident. So thank you, Yates because there's nothing more powerful than the love brought about by one's own community. Those who you love and who love you, those who show you God, the very presence of God working. And that's what this church, our space of worship, is for. Um, in my intro to worship class at Duke Divinity School, we've been reading some um, work from Edward Schillebex, who writes about um, the purposes of worship and the intentionality behind things like the sacraments. And he talks about how we experience the mystery of Christ right here in this worship space. And that Christ himself is the church, as we are the earthly extension of God's impact on the world. He writes that if human acts of love and the acts of Jesus engaged in while on earth have divine saving power of some kind, then human love is then God's own salvific power in human form. And Jesus came to show us how a human life dedicated to love and worship of God through the love of others can look. Jesus came to show our church how to love and worship, and we've seen this through Jesus' ministry and the entire Trinity, through Father, Son, and Spirit, engaging in the world as we've seen through Scripture. Um, and this is our resting place for our faith, our model. Our worship here in Yates, therefore, involves us sacramentally engaging with the presence of Christ and our salvation so that we can then be Christ's body impacting the world with the Spirit of God working in us. 
Now back to the Shema. <laughs> this passage from Deuteronomy is called the Shema, as many of you may know. It begins with Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And every time I think about this, I think about how my boyfriend taught it to me in the car when we were driving to dinner, because he learned it faster than I did for my Hebrew class. <laughs> but this Jewish prayer begins in verse four of Deuteronomy chapter six. Um, and it has been historically recited when aligning oneself with God's rule and in a personal relationship. I chose it because it's a rededication that God's rule and our role here on earth may work in tandem. And this prayer is one that receives the kingdom of heaven with the responsibility that we will be living proof of God working through us to achieve the kingdom of heaven. It's a commandment to those entering this new promised land, a condition for entering this kingdom. What drives our, this is what drives our actions as followers of the God of Abraham. So I want to reread some parts of it and show you what I'm talking about. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, or the Lord is one. We hear the word hear twice in this whole passage, so we know that that's really important. Like, no, really, hear, O Israel. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and keep these words that I am commanding you in your heart. Recite them to your children, here we have a generational continuation of this embodiment in this kingdom. It's not just supposed to just last within the first inheritors of the kingdom, but generations and generations after. Talk about these things when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise up. So this is present in all parts of our day, all parts of our lives. It says, bind them on a, as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead. And here I love this because we have this image of God language so that when others see our community, our place of worship, they should see God. We write them on the doorposts then of our house and on our gates. We have here included both a personal witnessing responsibility for us to be the image of God, but also that of our collective community. And it's easy to hear all of this, but not really hear. Like I read this and I'm like, okay, God, I get it. I've heard this a thousand times. I know what you're saying. But does this really mean that I have to embody this in every area of my life, including everything that my church does? The answer is yes. And we have to keep evaluating this to make sure that we embody these in all our church does. Our church is called to make this mission for love the heart of all of our programs of fellowship. We have this higher calling to this in our liberation from Christ. This Shema is what God's people are called to learn and memorize and recognize as important, but just memorizing and knowing it in the back of our mind is not the end. For God did not bring the Israelites into the faded promised land to simply sit happy and do nothing when living together in one community. Verse 12 says, Take care that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. We can't forget that God's people were once oppressed by the weight of sin, and we were brought out for God's grander reconciling purposes. Slavery. Our God is one who directly aligns himself with the people enslaved by Egypt, those oppressed by higher powers. As we have seen through the God of the Old Testament, the ministry of Jesus, and who Jesus chose to sit with and dine with, and the movement of the Holy Spirit, God like calls those enslaved in Egypt to carry out his vision. As author James H. Cohn writes, God's election of Israel and the incarnation of Christ, which is, again, the Trinity's behavior in scripture that we see, reveals that the liberation of the oppressed is a part of the innermost nature of God. 
Liberation is not an afterthought. It's not something that, okay, we'll do that later. No, it is the essence of divine activity. He goes on to say the exodus, the call of Israel, the gift of the promised land, and above all, the incarnation of Jesus reveal that God's self-giving love is given to oppressed humanity. God brought us out from those places in the enslavement of sin in order to bring us in at the threshold of this new and beautiful thing. As Israelites were rescued out of oppression in Egypt for the purposes of living in God's community, we too are redeemed from our sin for the purposes of living out God's kingdom of love. And we are called to far more than to just sit and wait for the kingdom of heaven to happen. We are called to bring it. Jesus talks about the most important commandments being, of course, this, love God with all your heart, but he adds the applicative sense when he says to love our neighbor. Not only are we to love God, but we are to love God through loving our neighbor. And that involves being open to recognizing places where there is not love of God and love on our neighbor. And as Elaine and Mark led us in that, it's self-examination of where it's hard for us to love God and by loving our neighbor. With this, there's this obligation, as we've seen, towards examination, where as my... Um, colleague, I got to hear from uh, Reverend Dr. Kathy Newton-Dunton um, and learn from her at St. Peter's Methodist Church, and she says that we don't have the luxury of following a God who doesn't care about injustice. We have a God who cares about acting, about doing. Because God is bringing us to this great new thing to prosper us, God says, we were brought here so that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life so that your days may be long and so that it may go well with you so that we multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. God gives us so many great things with this. Like, if you go into this, I promise I will give you all of these amazing things. All these great things will happen if you will just hear me. God frames this new thing with so many positive benefits for us as if we need these promises to realize that loving people is important. As if we need these like sort of privileges and different other happy things and gratification in order to really trust God. It seems like a privilege that we shouldn't have to rely on in order to enact God's kingdom in the world, but God gives it freely to us anyway. Regardless, we are responsible and called directly to take part in bringing God's new thing about to take place. And we don't need a reward necessarily. As We don't really need a treat after we've spent the whole morning putting together a bag of clothes and um, everything and materials and supplies and toiletries at open table. God is our reward. So why do we come to church? Because we can sit around at home. <laughs> why do we come to church? Why do we worship? So this is a really, really big question right now because in the whole world of debate with like virtuals, virtual worship and in-person worship, all of these, I feel like I'm surrounded by these conversations not only because I'm in seminary but because I'm in these environments where I really care about the opinions of like the church and different other things. I'm hearing a lot of this language but I want you to think about why do we come to church? Why is Yates and everything Yates does our place of worship? Well, we're here for reunification. We're here for reorientation in what God has asked us to do. We're here to listen for God's direction, being open and ready for it, and seeking how we can go into the world and do likewise. And if these are the things that we seek, we need to worship this way with that little checklist, whatever that is for you in mind. 
We need to worship this into all of the areas that our church provides with openness and evaluation for how we can go deeper, how we can push our hearts deeper and more deeply challenge ourselves to connect with the endless vast identity that is God and the Trinity. What we do see is we do see the Trinity in Scripture, but God is endless, and so therefore we challenge ourselves to be humbled by God's majesty and challenge ourselves to go deeper and deeper. Because ultimately, God's instruction for the Israelites post-rescue is to listen and let that listening inform our worship. God calls us to listen and God calls us to love. Listening for God's direction, for where we have seen that trinity working through scripture and now working from us, we have to listen to each other. Notice how God's instructions here, over and over again, are to listen. Hear, O Israel, so that this might be a great thing when you get into the kingdom and you'll live a long life. Hear, Israel, God is God alone, God is one. If we have stopped listening, then we, are stopped, we have stopped obeying. If we have stopped listening and leading, leaning forward and into God's great new thing, then we're not following this. Love should be in everything that we do, in our activities and all in worship. This should be bound to our hands and our foreheads so that we may be instruments of God's peace. And all of this language, this very tactile language of hands and forehead and feet and in the morning and in the evening and all of the details reminds me how worship works with our bodies. And see, now we're getting into worship conversation. I'm going to geek out for a second. Um, worship gets into our bodies and how our very bodies are taken on by the Holy Spirit. Our hearts are inhabited by Christ so that our worship and our acts of love are God working and our love for our neighbor is God working through us. I see worship bound to our heads, bound to our hands, causing them to move and to shake and to clap and to join hands with our family in faith and put together boxes and care packages and fold clothes. I see worship in what we say and what we sing. I see worship on our tongues. There is worship in our feet and how we move and where we go. There is worship in the morning, in the evening, in our coming and our going, in our weeping and rejoicing, as I have my Crescent kids sing all the time, we sing the blessing. Worship in our public spaces and in our private homes and our room with the door shut. Worship on the doorposts of our houses and the gates of our community, the signs in front of our church building. God's mission pervades all of the places we want to keep for ourselves. So hear the good news. God is working through Yates Baptist Church, and God longs for prosperity, reunification, and reconciliation. We get to be active participants in that new kingdom. As Israel was set apart by God, an oppressed people who had been in slavery for years and years, God brought them out and led them to the threshold of this great new thing. And as God, God led Adam to tend the earth, God too has redeemed us from the oppression of our sin for the higher purposes of God's kingdom. This God who sits with us in times of need, this God who washed us clean, this God who aligns himself with so much of our state of suffering that he intentionally came to be born incarnate of a poor, uh, as a poor child of color to a young mother, to live in poverty, to walk the streets choosing fishermen and tax collectors to be his disciples, and allowing those he saved to crucify him just so he can resurrect and seat at the right hand of the Father. That God calls us where we are seated now, where we live lying back and watching in the pews, to now lean in, <laughs> to now jump up and take part. Stand and seize the bread and wine, the body and blood of Christ broken for us. For we have been set apart, rescued, loved, fought for, and we are God's. 
reconciliation and reunification is God's new kingdom. What about those who still remain in structures of oppression? What about those who still grieve, who still hurt, who still remain trapped in Egypt? We have been brought to the threshold of this new thing that God is going to do in Yates Baptist Church in this space of worship and how we live among one another. God is forever transforming how Yates lives, how Yates worships, how Yates loves. So here, what does this actually look like? What is this, I want to ask you, I'm not just like, this is rhetorical, I want, to, I want to throw this out there and get you to think, I want to plant some seeds. What does this look like for us on Sunday mornings? What does this look like for the youth and children's ministry? What does the, loving God and loving our neighbor look like in our choir, in our orchestra, in our handbells, in all other segments of music ministry? How can we bring that out? Where is God working in the sunshine class? What does this look like for the personnel committee? What does God's reconciliation look like for the koinonia class, in the journey class, in my dad's Sunday school class? All of these places, God plants these seeds that we may grow where we are planted, that we may investigate all areas of our church and come together in this unsure time for reconciliation among our body. It's really powerful when we have these moments that sort of click for us and realize that's why we have that ministry at Yates. Like, that's why we do that. That moment is why we did that. When, when Ted and Keith and I sang that song, that's why, we, that's why we do that is because, man, that was so good and I got so into it. We have those moments in our, in our ministry of Yates that we think, I want us to have those moments that make us recognize why we do them. That's why we take kids to Passport. That's why we take the youth to Cheerio. And I got to witness one of these moments, especially this summer, seeing Alasia, among a few others in the youth group, perform in Passport's variety show back in July. And this really put the ministry of Yates in perspective for me. And I want to give it its full deserved attention. Passport is a great place, and I, I feel it's an excellent model to be where an institution is humble enough to allow love for God and love for neighbor, neighbor to call all the shots in its decision-making and policies and activities and elements and things that they include. God is in all of that, and they change it every year because they find more and more better and better ways to be inclusive. One is Variety Show, where any kid can perform and get cheered and affirmed so loudly no matter what they do. But Alasia was so good, and it was so different. This moment was different. After all the variety shows I've ever seen, Alasia got up on stage to sing Part of Your World and messed up for just a second, and she started crying. And so the girls, her, all her friends, Paulina and Blanca and Lily and Marley and Alyssa and Abby Gray all ran up on stage and gave her a big hug while the entire crowd of kids and adults from all these other churches were just cheering and cheering and cheering, like, do it again, do it again. <laughs> and so her lab was like, can we do it again? Can we just restart? It's fine. And then she started over and she kept singing and it was awesome. I was like that proud, like, where's my phone? <laughs> this was me. I was like that proud mom. It's like, this is so good. It's like, I gotta send this to her mom later. And, and she was just amazing. So, but then, earlier that evening in the worship service, this isn't, this isn't even the best part yet, we had a prayer experience where we used bubbles. And we would blow, we had this, every kid had a little vial of bubbles and in the worship space, and they would blow bubbles to signify a breath prayer being sent into the world. And at the end, everybody's bubbles looked like this big, beautiful picture of the kingdom of God all praying and joining together in an act of love. And so you could look up at the ceiling and just see, like, the numerous <laughs> bubbles that everybody was praying. And so as Elijah sang, 
a few kids reached into their pockets, pulled out their bubbles, opened them, and started blowing bubbles. And then everybody else started doing it. We were like, it's happening. And the whole room was totally filled with bubbles for this little girl as she sang. And the whole room was filled with bubbles and prayer and love. And those kids cheered for her so loudly that when she came up on stage, she was bombarded with all the hugs of her friends. That affirmation and that love in that community of faith was a clear and definite picture in a space of worship of how the body of Christ supporting this young lady who was afraid to show to her and everyone as an, to be an example of many the deep love of God through the thousands of voices of the saints, <laughs> all of these people who were there for her. And in all these conversations with Danny and with John DeWitt after, we just kept saying, that's why we bring our kids to camp. Because that's how a church should rally around people. Every heart, every prayer was loving God and loving that young lady and showing what heaven looks like. And my hope is that for these moments to invade Yates, in the ministry of Yates Baptist Church, that reorient us why this crucial element is there. And another one that I hold dear, personal plug, is that without the ministry of Yates Baptist Church bringing me up and involving me in worship services since I was in third grade, I wouldn't be standing here preaching. So it does work. Our commission then is to build the kingdom of God on earth through this body of believers in all our church's acts of worship in and out of Sunday mornings. And our work is cut out for us to love and live united among God's broken chosen people. But God's promise, the payoff, is that we will grow and prosper for the better living under God's great commandment of love. Again, verse 23, he brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land, the kingdom, that he promised on oath to our ancestors. Let's allow the Spirit to pervade our very selves, our very identities and collective identity as Yates Baptist Church, the body of Christ, and to change our hearts and minds in Isaiah, because here comes the kingdom of heaven. With love as our worship, May we become freer and freer from what holds us down to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow Jesus into devoting our every moment to God and serving God's people. So in our humility, our work and desire for God's kingdom, we will be restored so that God's people, those here and beyond our walls, may worship in powerful, impactful love for one another so that out of our weeping, we may go out with songs of joy. Amen. And so now as Laura comes up and leads us, may we use this time of reflection to reorient ourselves in the love that is saturated in Yates Baptist Church. I invite you now to respond with me together in prayer.